Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. We're going to look this morning at a message entitled Powerful Faith. We saw last week that message on powerless faith, the seven sons of that Jewish chief priest, Siva, the seven sons of Siva in Acts 19 that had a powerless faith. They tried to do a spiritual work without a true relationship with God and, and sought to do that. And, and uh, you remember I showed you the 1969 Mustang Fastbacks last week and the difference in value based on the power source that they had. The one with no engine was selling for 10,000. The one that had been restored and, and had a, a souped up engine selling for 130 or $150,000. The value, the effectiveness of that creation was found in the power that it tapped into. And, uh, and so tonight, today, last week we saw some, some characteristics of powerless faith. This morning we're gonna see some characteristics of powerful faith. If you had to travel to New York this week, so you had to go by, maybe leave tomorrow and get to New York by the next weekend, you had to be there. Anytime this week you could leave and you needed to be to New York, what transportation mode would you choose? Maybe, we'll show the first one there. Would you choose to go across country there on a horse? Now I've never done it, but, but Googling and asking, how long does it take to go across country on a horse? The answer that I saw, I don't know this is true. If you've ever done it, you can let me know. They said probably 70 or 80 days. If you need to get to New York by next weekend, you're probably not gonna be able to get there on a horse. What about the next one? Maybe would you choose to use and go on your neighborhood go-kart there, the toy go-kart that maybe the neighborhood kid had, or would you choose a car? And how many of you have driven cross country? You've gone cross country in a car. I've, I've never driven all the way. We've driven a 6,000 mile road trip, but it kind of stopped along uh, the South and the Midwest and then came back. We went along the South, never made it, I guess past wherever Branson, Missouri is, whatever that is. I don't think we made it East in the car. Now I've been to the East Coast, but never on a road trip from California. But, but if you were to, to drive eight hours a day, you could get there probably in about six days or so, eight or nine hours a day, depending on how fast you drive and how many restroom breaks you take, right? How many of you would get there faster than six, eight hour days? You or your husband is one of those conquer the road. We're not stopping for anything. I don't care if you, you have a major medical need, you'll, we'll take care of that in New York. How many of you are like that? How many of you are like every billboard you see? Let's stop there, that looks fun. And let's try that snack over there. And it would take you like three weeks to drive to New York from here. How many of you are married and you're opposite? One wants to keep going and one wants to stop everywhere. Here's my advice to you. My pastoral advice is don't go on a road trip if that's the case, all right? It will not be relaxing. You'll be fighting, you'll be mad. I am one of those conquer the road types, although we don't take long road trips, but when we lived in Northern California, we would come down uh, usually every year or two to Southern California for vacation and things. And there were many times we left the Bay Area and never stopped till we got over the grapevine and we were in Santa Clarita there. And uh, that was with kids like ages two, four, and six. Keep crying, put a diaper on them and keep going, all right? I'm eight years old, I don't wanna wear a diaper. I don't care, put the diaper on and we're not stopping, all right? 
And, uh, and so that's me. My wife is, does not appreciate that. And I'm famous for one of them saying, Dad, I really gotta go, we gotta stop. And me saying, okay, we'll look on the side, see where the next rest stop is. And, and the, oh, there it is, oh, I can't get over right here. We'll have to make, make it to the next rest stop. And, uh, and so I couldn't, I tried, but it wasn't safe to merge right there. So keep going. That's not very kind, is it? I'm not a very nice husband or father sometimes. So maybe you'd choose a car or how many of you probably, if you needed to get there, would take a plane? Probably most of us, right? And if you, if you got on a plane, a nonstop flight from LAX, and, uh, and, and you got on tomorrow morning, you could be in New York for a late lunch. What's the difference of these four modes of transportation? The difference is the power that is supplied. You have one horsepower. I don't know what a go-kart is three or five or 10 horsepower, maybe 200 something horsepower, or whatever a plane is that goes four, 500, 600 miles an hour in the air. What's the difference? The difference in the power, the amount of power we avail ourselves of as we try to get our to our destination completely changes the journey. The same is true in our Christian lives. The source and amount of power that we avail ourselves of makes all the difference in how well and how effectively we travel the path that God has led us on. We've had some in our church recently travel to Hawaii. We had one get back this week. I'm not keeping track, by the way, and being jealous and covetous, but one family got back this week from Hawaii. One left this week for Hawaii that I know of, and I think the Meltons are leaving this week for Hawaii as well. And uh, if I came to Dr. Melton, who played the piano this morning, and I came and I said, uh, Dr. Melton, how are you and Janie getting to Hawaii? Are you guys flying? Because there's really only two ways to get there, right? Flying or boat. You're not going to drive there. Are you guys flying? And he said, no, we're taking a boat. Now, I've never been on a Hawaiian cruise, but that sounds like a good way to get to Hawaii. Anybody here been on a Hawaiian cruise? Few of you. That sounds like a great way. And, and so I asked him, well, show me a picture of the ship you and Janie are taking to the islands. And they showed me this. And they showed me that me and Janie are going to get there in a two-person kayak. Guess what? That does, I don't think they're gonna make it, number one. I don't think they're gonna try it, number two. I don't think any of us are getting there and we'd probably be pretty surprised. We probably would have pictured that it would look a little more like a cruise ship. And we would think that that's how they were gonna get to Hawaii is some, a boat that looked a little more like that than a two-person kayak if they told us they were taking a boat. If given a choice, which would you and I take our journey into Hawaii? A kayak or a cruise ship? Why? Why would we choose that? There's a few reasons, but maybe the biggest one is the power in that ship to actually get us where we need to get safely and effectively and enjoyably. The power, the difference in power, the power in a kayak is found in your arms for as long as you can do it, right? The cruise ship has unbelievable power to take. The power makes all the difference on the journey. How would you rather live your Christian life? In your own power or in power far beyond anything you could imagine? Let's jump into our text. We're gonna pick up where we left off last Sunday. And we're gonna look at about six or seven new verses in Acts 19 this week. Let's pick it up by way of review in chapter 19, verse number 11. I want you to see where we're at. Paul is on his third missionary journey here in Acts 19. He's in the city of Ephesus, a secular city. Verse 11, would you read verse 11? Acts 19, verse 11 aloud with me. Ready? Begin. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. God is working in great 
power in and through the life of the Apostle Paul and through the disciples. The gospel is going forth. People are getting saved. We see great power in Paul's life. Look at verse number 13. We saw this story last week. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them, which had evil spirits, the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, we adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. He, they come and try to cast out some demons in the right name, but with the wrong power. We tell you to get out of that, to the demon-possessed the demon man, we tell you to get out of that man by the power of that man, that, 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 that God, that, that deity that Paul preaches. Not the one that we know. We don't know anything about his power, but Paul does, and we're gonna try to ride on his power. Notice verse number 14, and there were seven sons of one Siva, a Jew, and chief of the priests, which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, funny question, funny, funny statement, question, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? Who are you? I recognize Jesus, I know his power. I recognize Paul, I know he's filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. I've never heard of you. Who are you seven guys that are powerless? And then, and then we, we saw what happened last week in verse 16, the man and the evil spirit leaped on them, overcame them, prevailed against them. So they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And we said it last week, Alistair Begg said the seven sons of Siva became the seven streakers of Siva. And they're running out of the house bloodied and bruised and beaten. And they have just been, and by the way, that is when we try to do spiritual work in our own power, it doesn't end well. It ends in shame and disappointment and pain and embarrassment. And they're running out, this powerless faith. So now that story gets spread. Did you hear what happened? We've seen what Paul's done, but did you hear that, that the, the, even the spirits, they know who Jesus is and Paul is, but they didn't know who the sons of Siva were. Now, would you read verse 17 and we'll begin. We didn't read this. We're starting with a few new verses this morning. Verse 17, let's read it together. Ready, begin. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus. And fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. I would say that's powerful faith. Look at verse 18. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Micah just saying that, purify my life, Lord. Look at verse 19. Many of them also, which used curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. Verse 20, would you read it aloud? Ready, begin. So mightily grew the word of God. What a contrast. Ministry with great power life-impacting, world-changing ministry, the, the kind of ministry that I long to see in my life. That you heard that plea in that song, Lord, purify me, use me, I save the lost. What, I want to, what is that song saying? I want to see you use me in power, not for my name's sake. You're worthy for your name's sake. God, I wanna see that power in my life. I don't just wanna see, by the way, that power in my life. I wanna see it in my family. I wanna see it in our church. I wanna see that in like-minded Bible preaching churches, not just a form of godliness where we get together for some religious social club and just talk to our friends and have a good time and sing a song that we like, but life-changing, gospel-working power. The Holy, what power was here in and through the life of Paul because of Jesus? The word of God was magnified and prevailed. Jesus was glorified. 
not an empty form of godliness, but a faith that changes everything. We see here powerless faith, the seven sons of Siva, and powerful faith. What are some marks of powerful faith? What will we see in our lives? How can we know if it's a form of godliness or if it's really the Holy Spirit working? What are some of the marks that we can see in our lives of powerful faith? Number one, I would suggest to you from this passage, number one, Christianity exemplified. Christianity exemplified. What do I mean by that? I mean an authentic Christianity where we don't just, uh, we don't just talk the talk, but we walk the walk, where it's not just a form of godliness, where we look the part. We talked about that a little bit last Sunday morning, but it's something that's real. And Christianity, by the way, that's what we see here. What did, what did the, uh, uh, the, the Spirit say? Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? What was he saying? Paul is a real Christian. I know his faith is real and powerful. There's no doubt about it. I know he's plugged into Christ. I've never heard of you. You can say Jesus' name, but you have no power in your life. You're trying to, to live the name of Christ without having that relationship. Even the demon knew who Paul was, and a powerful faith will lead to authentic followers of Christ. That thing of Christianity being real in our lives, when we tap into the power of the Holy Spirit that's available to us, it will be obvious to all those around us, even to those who don't know Christ. It was obvious to the demon-possessed man that there was something different about Paul. Christian, there was, it will be obvious when, when, when we're living a Christ-like powerful faith, it's not something you can keep to yourself. It will be obvious to all those around us. Now they might, might not be able to put their finger on it, but they might say something like, there's something different about you. Or if they, they might come to you and say, hey, I'm having some trouble, maybe at work, and they'll tell you, I'm having some trouble in this area of my life. Would you pray with me? What is that? That's somebody recognizing there's something different about that person. There's something different about that family. There's something different. I've heard it. I can't tell you. I pray it's the power of the Holy Spirit. How many times I've had people come to our church and they'll say after a service, they'll say, I've, I've visited several churches in Orange County, but there's just something different. I can't put my finger on it, but there's something different about the Spirit here. Now, now that could be a variety of things. It could be some man worked up emotion or something, but I pray and I, I, I believe at times it's the Holy Spirit of God is at work in this place in and through his people. What is that? That's Christianity exemplified. There's something different about your family and the way that you love each other. There's something different about the way that you walk through trials. What is that? Our lights are shining when Christ is working in us in power. It will be evident to those around us. Our oldest daughter, Ashlyn, she's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. She's a lot like her dad. But the Lord's been working in her life and, and I believe growing her from what we can tell in great ways in recent months. And since January, she's been working at Chick-fil-A. Can we just have a moment of, of, of thankfulness and gratitude for Chick-fil-A right here? And, and why is it that you always crave Chick-fil-A the most on Sundays, right? When you can't go there and they're closed, that's when their chicken sounds the best. And it's kind of like that, that forbidden fruit. Whatever you can't have is what you want to have, right? And Chick-fil-A on Sundays, it sounds great. Now I've got you all hungry for lunch right now. But she was telling us after a, a few weeks of working there, she was telling us how different coworkers at different times would comment and say things or maybe text her or message her and say things like, you're, you're always so happy. There's something different about your spirit. You, you never complain. 
When the manager tells you to do something, you, you do it with customers when they get frustrated. And we've never heard you swear. And, and, and she had multiple opportunities to say things like, well, I'm a Christian. Christ has changed me and he's changed my outlook on life. And she's invited several and others have asked her to pray on certain things. She's been able to share Christ with several of her coworkers and invited a few of them to join her in church. And, and again, I, I don't say that. We have plenty of stuff to work on in our family and we're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But there have been multiple coworkers her age that have said there's something different about you than from most of the other girls your age that I know. In just a few short weeks of working with people, they realized something different. And, and, and there were times where some would begin to swear or cuss or joke about maybe something inappropriate. And another coworker that wasn't even a Christian would say, oh, don't talk like that around Ashley. And Ashley never said necessarily any, but she just lived her life and sought to be a, a witness and a testimony. And several times, oh, don't, don't joke like that. Ashley doesn't swear, she's a Christian. Don't talk like that. What, what, what's that an example of? when the Holy Spirit is working in our lives, there will be something different. We will exemplify an authentic faith, an authentic Christianity in our lives. When we live an unashamed, authentic Christian life, those around us will know it. We don't need any more go through the motions Christians who show up to do their Christian duties, but have no true passion or power. Church, we have enough cultural Christians who know how to look the part. We need more consecrated, committed Christians who are passionate about living the life that he has called us to. When we have a powerful faith, we won't have a have to mindset. We'll have a want to and a get to mindset about the Christian life. If you're here this morning and you're bored or you're bitter, wishing you could be anywhere other than here right now, it's probably a great indicator you have a form of godliness, but are denying the power thereof. Not only do we see Christianity exemplified, I see here powerful faith leads to cultures revolutionized. Verse 17, cultures revolutionized. Look at verse 17, please. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus, and fear fell on them all. The power, all it was, was Paul coming to town. We saw it last week. Paul coming to town, going to the synagogue for about three weeks, teaching every day. They kicked him out of there. So he went to the house of Tyrannus, began to teach for about five hours a day, five or six days a week for two years. And you know what that led to? Faithful, godly, bold, passionate Christianity. It led to everybody in Asia hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. And then you know what it led to here? That, that powerful faith, that powerful Christianity. It led to all the Greeks and the Jews hearing and fear falling on them all. By, by the way, Ephesus, you know what? Ephesus was known for? Ephesus was known, for, it was a secular godless culture. That their, their main church in town was the Temple Diana. We'll look at that next week in our message. The Temple Diana, she had, uh, she had many temple prostitutes that it was just debauchery all over town in the name of their faith. They came, it was a wicked area that was known for their love of sports, their love of theater, their love of wealth, their, their love of entertainment. Does that sound familiar to anybody? And you know what happened? Just a few people with a powerful faith, the power of the Holy Spirit revolutionized a culture, revolutionized a city, 
revolutionized a region. Fear fell on them all. A, a powerful faith can't and won't stay with the one who possesses it. It will spill out and impact all those around us. We look at this world and we see the pain and the brokenness, the degradation of culture, the elevation of evil. And we long to see legislation that might fix it or the right candidate that might fix it or some other political answer. What this world needs most is the people of God consumed by God in such a way that God's power flows through them and God's love flows out of them in such a way that their families are revolutionized, their communities are changed and the culture is impacted eternally. That's what happened here. As Christ was changed, a godless secular culture known for its love of sports, theater, idols, and wealth was overwhelmed by the gospel of Christ. What is a mark of a powerful faith in our lives? Our lives will exemplify to those around us Christianity, authentic Christianity. People will know there's something different. If you can work with somebody or live near somebody for any length of time and they're shocked you're a Christian, you might want to take inventory on how powerful is the gospel in my life. Not only that, but culture is revolutionized. Are, are people's lives being helped and changed because of the way your life has been helped and changed? Number three, what's a mark of powerful faith? The end of verse 17, Jesus magnified. Fear fell on them all. And the name, I like that a lot. The name of the Lord Jesus was what church? Magnified. The name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. A Holy Spirit-filled life and church will make much of Jesus, not man. We will lift up Christ in our preaching, in our singing, in our programs. Our preaching and our praise will be filled with far more scripture than stories, far more divine truth than man's ideas or opinions or traditions. As Paul said of the church, that in all things, he might have the preeminence, not the prominence, not a good spot, the preeminence, the first spot. Not that he would be a big part of what we're doing. He would be the first priority of everything that we do. Speaking of the church, it was Jesus that should be magnified. That in all things, what did he tell the church at Corinth? I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. If our church doesn't point to Christ, you can be sure it will be powerless very soon. If our lives are more about our legacies or our kingdoms than they are about the eternal kingdom of Christ, you can guarantee that we will not have the power that God intends for his children to have. If my preaching isn't saturated with scriptural truth, it will be of no lasting impact. We're in a season of blessing and it seems like it's been that way for many years. This church has had some ups and downs, but for many years, God's had, uh, has, has done a miracle work here. But it seems in recent years, there's been a, and even the last year through COVID, a unique season of blessing and fruitfulness and effectiveness and lives being changed. And sometimes you'll talk to other pastors and, and, and we as pastors, probably like anybody else in any other field, sometimes we like to figure it out. So what's the formula? Let me read the right book and let me get the right marketing strategy to make it work. And I'll talk to other ministry leaders and they'll say, well, what are you doing that, that's kind of driving that? What can you tell me? I was on the phone for about 30 minutes with a pastor asking me some questions a couple weeks ago. How are you doing this? And what's your structure there? And we do have a structure and we seek to run God's work well and, and we with, 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 with organization and with, with a system and for a reason, with a purpose. I don't think God's work just deserves no thought whatsoever. But you know what I have to tell most of them? Honestly, all I can tell you is we're doing our best to lift up Christ and to faithfully preach his word. We're just trying, I know it's cliche, we're trying to magnify Jesus. 
When we sing, it's not, I hope, for a show or for, for us to be entertained. It's to bring honor and glory to him and to point people's thoughts and, and attention there. When I preach, it's not, it's not necessarily to, to try to lift myself up. I hope that's not my, it's to magnify Jesus. And I believe one of the reasons that our church is experiencing a, a, a special measure of God's blessing is I believe there are hundreds in our church that truly the desire is let's magnify Jesus. That's what a powerful faith will do. What did we see last week? Jesus' words to his disciples in John 15. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him. This, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do. Without Christ, it's empty. He didn't say you can do some things, you can do nothing. A powerful faith will lift up Christ, not you. We'll lift up Jesus, not, not man. What else happens when a powerful faith is prevalent? In this passage, I see Christianity exemplified, cultures revolutionized, Jesus magnified, and then I want you to see lifestyles modified. Lifestyles modified, verse 18. And many that believed came and, what's the word there, church? Came and what? And what's the next verb? And showed their deeds. Uh-oh, legalists! Talking about, I gotta do these things to be a Christian. No, I didn't say that. But the Bible says, what, what, what is the, I believe it's the book of James. Show me your faith by your works. I don't believe in a works of salvation. You don't have to do anything to earn your way to heaven. But if Christ is working in us, we can't help, but it's gonna come out, it's gonna come out through us. Things are gonna change. Now here's the problem. Some people in an effort then try to shortcut that process, try to change the outside to make people think that Christ is working in us in power. That's backwards. But the, the, the pendulum swing, if you've seen people maybe that, that focus too much on the externals, and so the pendulum swing is, it doesn't matter the outside. It doesn't matter how I talk. It doesn't matter how I think. It doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter what I drink, where I go, how I dress, what I say. None of that matters. I have liberty in Christ. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Lifestyles were modified when God came through in great power. He said here, they confessed and they showed their deeds. Look at verse number 19. Many of them also, which use curious arts, the sorcerers, the, 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 the magicians, they brought their books, the spells and things together and burned them before all men. And by the way, this wasn't a small sacrifice. They counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. A piece, Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. A piece of silver was the average wage for a day laborer. 50,000 pieces of silver for an average day laborer is 150 years of annual salary. This was, of course, collectively. So if there were 150 of them that burned it, maybe there were more, I don't know what it was, that would have, it would have been 150 people's day labor, regular workers, annual salary. This was not some small sacrifice. They made major changes in their lives. That which I've sacrificed for and given my life to and, 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 and have and this valuable stuff, God, it's yours. Take, use me as Micah's saying, whatever the cost, I don't care what it costs. You can have that part of my life and God, I'll, I'll get right in that area and I'll stop doing that and I'll start doing that. And the whole, by the way, it's not an outside in Christianity. It's the power of Christ working in us. But if it is, the fruits of the spirit will be prevalent and evident around us. They gave up 50,000 pieces of silver value of, of those books of spells and things, but we can't give up that one thing in our life that we know is holding us back with God. 
but I love it so much. I enjoy it so much. It's an addiction. It's a craving. It's a desire. It brings me pleasure. Martin Luther said, a Christianity that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is worth nothing. When was the last time that your faith led you to give something? It cost you something. You gave up something for God's glory. You purified your life and got that out of your life. I'm not the Holy Spirit. I don't know what that is for you. But I know there have been things in my life I've had to get out of my life. Things I've needed to start doing and some things I've needed to stop doing in order that, God, I would be in accordance with your word. Some ways I need to try to not speak to my family and some ways that I need to start speaking to my family. God, help me to give that with the Holy Spirit when lifestyles modify. Our lives changed. Christ in us should change everything about us. Can I say that one more time? Christ in us should change everything about us. Heart attitudes, spirits, priorities, relationships. Christ, and by the way, I believe this, Christ invites all of us to come just as we are, but he doesn't intend for us to stay that way. Christ invites all of us to come just as we are, but he doesn't intend for us to stay that way. Come as you are, stay as you are. Faith is a powerless faith. Paul said it this way to the churches at Galatia in Galatians 2. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ in me changes everything about me. And if we will surrender everything to him, the Holy Spirit will change everything. Our desires, our affections, our hearts, our spirit, our ability to love, our actions, our speech, our thoughts, our priorities, our search histories, our budgets, our families, and every other part of our lives. If, if Christ in you is not changing anything about you, you might need to stop and say, how, how much am I walking in the flesh and how much am I walking in the spirit? Because when Christ came in power in Ephesus, fear fell on them all and they came and confessed and showed their deeds and said, we got some stuff at home that we shouldn't have. Let's burn it. 50,000 pieces of silver worth of things that were displeasing to Christ. Let's get rid of it. What is God calling you to burn in your life? To get out of your, it's keeping you from tapping into that. Christ in you will change everything about you. Jay, you mentioned when you were speaking how you used to hate to read. And Christ in you changed your whole priority and your purpose and, and studying God's word. And now you probably read on average six, eight, 10 hours a day and study and for, your, for decades. Christ in, I don't know what that will look like. It's different for all of us, but Christ in us changes everything about us. The little children's song says it well. The things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. There's been a great change since I've been born again. Then the king's kids sing other, other verses. The things I used to say, I don't say them anymore. There's been a great change since I've been born again. The things I used to date, I don't date them anymore. The places I used to go, I don't go there anymore. That children's song, Christ, when, when Christ has changed us inside, it should manifest itself on the outside. I've seen the way that Christ can completely change a life and a family. He did it for me and my family. 
my mom and brother sit here. They're flying home this afternoon from Northern California. You, you know my testimony, most of you raised by a single mom and she sacrificed and, but growing up, we didn't go to church at all. Didn't know anything of Christ, learned nothing of it. And before COVID, because of what Christ did in our lives, May 22nd of 1988, three months ago, about two weeks, um, 33 years ago, about two weeks ago, last month, about 33 years ago, because of what Christ did on that day, before COVID, when my grandma could get out of the care facility where she is, and they would allow her to go out, every Sunday morning and every, every week, multiple times per week, there were four generations of my family in, in a Bible preaching church, worshiping God and seeking to serve him and plug in joyfully there. Four generations uh, in, trying to grow in God's word, daily reading his word, loving one another, but it wasn't always that way. 33 years ago, this last month, there were zero generations of our family in church. Our lives and our home looked very different. If you would have opened our fridge, you would have found some alcohol. If you would have eaten our brownies, you would have found some herbal supplements that were not medicinal and were not legalized at that point. You would have found some different things in our home. If you turn on our radio or our TV, you undoubtedly would have heard and seen things that were not pleasing to Christ. You would have found a little boy who lied to his mom, who was doing some things he probably shouldn't have been. You might have heard some yelling and some anger and some frustration with each other at times. You would have found a single mom who was overwhelmed at times. She had a baby at 22, was trying to figure out how to provide for him. But when Christ came, now our life didn't get perfect, but when Christ came, it all changed. Our purposes changed, our priorities changed, her, her, her relationships changed, our fridge changed. The brownies tasted a little different. Tasted a little less natural, if you know what I mean. Now she wasn't feeding, don't get mad, she wasn't feeding me those brownies. We had two separate sets. I don't really know what those brownies taste like. We had two sets of them, okay? She had one, the adult brownies that her and her friends got to eat, and I never got to eat those. But, but uh, am I right to say that? Sorry, mom, too late. But um, <laughs> what am I saying? Christ changed us. 30 years later, our family history is totally different. Why? Because, because we're so great? No, because Christ in us, a powerful faith, modifies some lifestyles. It changes our desires. It changes our passion. It changes the direction we're headed. It changes the way we love each other. It changes everything about us. If Christ in you is not changing you, we need to take inventory and ask ourselves why. When Christ comes in power, our lives will be completely transformed. That's the power of the gospel. What needs to change in your life today? A powerful faith is evidence when people start getting right with God and getting rid of things in their lives that are holding them back from fully surrendering to him him. What is holding you back from fully surrendering to him? Let God throw that on the burn pile of those curious arts books. Number five, what do I see when powerful faith comes? The word multiplied. Verse 20. I love this verse. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Reminds me of that song our choir sings sometimes. By the way, choir, Lord willing, is starting back up in September. And, uh, and Pastor Jay is going to be take, leading the choir. Miss Sandy is going to be helping him out. He'll be gone six, eight, ten Sundays a year with his ministry. She'll continue to help there with all of, with, as a new wife. And this was not, she didn't get fired. Don't, she, she does a great job with her secondary director roles and all that she does. She felt it best to, to let Jay take that. But Lord will, in August, we're going to start some choir practices. And we're praying. 60 or 70 voices up here. I love it to hear that choir sing, He always wins. He always wins. 
Our God is victorious. I love that right there. The word of God multiplied. The word of God, it says there, mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Number five, what is a mark of a powerful faith? The word multiplied. God's word has the the answers this world needs. It has the power to fix everything that we have messed up in our own wisdom. The world just needs to hear and accept and live the Bible. We have filled our lives and our homes and even our churches with so much of everything else and so little of the Bible. And we wonder why we know so little of the power they had in Acts. Well, I just don't feel like this Christianity thing's really doing anything for me. I don't feel like it's changing anything. When was the last time you spent any amount of time in your Bible? When was the last time you got alone with God and let the word speak to your heart? When was the last time you opened his word and let it speak the word of God? Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. When God's word gets into our lives, other things get out of our lives. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It shows us which way we should go. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. When, when One way we can know that we are living in the power of God is when the word is multiplied. And by the way, he always wins the word, the living word, and the word of God will prevail when it's magnified and multiplied. Our churches are filled with political speeches, entertaining soliloquies, heartwarming self-help from motivational speakers and spiritualized TED Talks. But God chose the foolishness of preaching to confound the wise. I like what Spurgeon said in this vein. He said, a great many learned men are defending the gospel. No doubt, it is a very proper and right thing to do. Yet I always notice that when there are most books of that kind defending the gospel, it is because the gospel itself is not being preached. Suppose a number of persons were to take it into their heads that they had to defend a lion, a full-grown king of beasts. There he is in his cage. And here come all the soldiers of the army to fight for him. Well, I suggest, I should suggest to them that they should kindly stand back and open the door and let the lion out. I believe that would be the best way of defending him for he would take care of himself. And the best apology for the gospel is to let the gospel out. Never mind about defending Deuteronomy or the whole of the Pentateuch. Preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. Let the lion out and see who will dare to approach him. The lion of the tribe of Judah will soon drive away all his adversaries. I'm not against apologetics. I'm not against learning. I'm not against uh, books about the Bible, but, and I read them. But you know what we need way more than any books about the Bible or someone telling us how to defend this. We need to magnify and multiply the word. Preach Jesus and let the power of the gospel run loose. The lion doesn't need us to defend it. He needs us to open the cage and let him out. He'll do a fine job defending himself. I like that. The lion of the tribe of Judah will defend himself. The word multiplied. You need the word multiplied in your life. I need the word multiplied in my life. We need the word multiplied in our church. It's one reason we're launching those connection, uh, community groups in September. Why? To multiply the word through our church family. When the word grows, I like that verse, it will prevail. And then you listened well, lastly. What happens when, the, when we have a powerful faith? We're gonna look at this passage next week, so I won't spend much time on it, but verse 23 And the same time, there arose no small stir about that way, the way of Christ, the way the Christians were teaching. At the same time, while God's working in power, there arose no small stir 
about that way. What happens when we begin to experience a powerful faith? Number six, attacks are intensified. If you try to do anything for God, you try to step out and live by faith and do anything, use your life for his glory, guess what you can count on? You will face opposition. You will face attacks, sometimes from within your own flesh, sometimes from within the uh, family, sometimes from within the church, and sometimes from without the church. A church that is seeking to, to, to operate in, in the power of God can expect some attacks. The Christian that's seeking to do the same can expect some attacks. Why? The Holy, the, 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 Satan doesn't like it when the Holy Spirit's working in a life. And we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. And we will face that. One pastor said it this way, new levels, new devils. When you try to take that next step of living in the power of Christ in your life, you can expect a stronger fight in opposition. New levels, new devils. Whenever we see God's power in greater ways, we can count on seeing attacks and opponents in greater measure. So to go back to our earlier illustration, we in the Christian life as Christians, we're headed to Hawaii. I mean, heaven, kind of the same thing, aren't they? We're heading to heaven. That's, that's, we press toward the mark for the prize, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. How are you gonna get there? Can I put that picture there back up? How are we going to get there in our Christian journey? In our own strength? I'm heading to Hawaii in that two-man kayak. Or are we going to get on the old ship of Zion? Tap into a power that's beyond anything we've ever experienced or could imagine. And let him safely carry us home. How are we going to get there in our lives? I can tell you this. When you try to get there, living the Christian life in your own strength... It's exhausting. It's discouraging. It's impossible. You'll end up doing one of two things, quitting or dying. You're not getting to Hawaii in that. There's nobody in here, you couldn't pay any of us enough money to take one of those from, from Newport Pier and head to Hawaii. Not, you couldn't pay any of us. Why? It's not possible. And yet we do the same thing in our Christian lives. We try to do the work of God like the sons of Siva in our own strength. It's impossible and it's discouraging and it's tiring and it's exhausting. You know how I know this is tiring and exhausting and discouraging? Because last summer, I'll sit, spare the story, but last summer I took the pastoral staff kayaking on a kayaking trip last summer. It seemed like a good idea for team building. It was a good idea for me, Tiffany, Ryan, and Damaris. We got a good laugh out of it. For everybody else, it was not a good idea. They were not appreciating that I was their pastor. If you want to hear the story, you can ask Doug and Joanne, Sammy and Ileana, Marquise and Sandy. When they get back, there were, we didn't, hadn't even made it out of the rocks, and Doug was already lying down flat seasick. <laughs> Joanne was there doing both of them all the way to this rock that didn't look like it was very far, but it was pretty far. And he was just, oh, this great pastor. He, Doug is the ultimate. He wants to do whatever I want to do. So he's serving with me. And Doug, go back to shore. No, Joanne's got this. And so Joanne's over there, you know. <laughs> and, and I'm trying not to laugh, but it was hilarious. And, and anyways, we could keep on, but, but you want a good laugh? Ask them about that trip. But you know what I found out? It's really hard to do it in your own strength. And to be honest, to live the Christian life in your own strength, it's exhausting. It's discouraging, it's tiring, and it's impossible. You and I need a powerful faith. Not a form of godliness, 
I didn't ask if you look right. I didn't ask if you talk right. Is the Holy Spirit working in and through you in power? Are you surrendered to him? What's the difference? None of us would take a kayak to Hawaii, but many of us, if we had the opportunity and the money, would pay thousands of dollars to go to Hawaii in another boat. We would pay people to take us there in a boat. We wouldn't let people take us in another boat. We wouldn't let people pay us to go in another boat. What's the difference? The difference is, one of the biggest differences is the power that completely changes the journey. Christian, stop trying to live your life in your own power. Reject a powerless faith and tap in to the powerful faith that God offers to every one of his children. We are more than conquerors through him which loved us. The power of Christ in us. What did he say? If you abide in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. So which one of these did the Holy Spirit convict you about today? Christianity exemplified. Is there anything different? Do people notice an authentic faith or is it a form of godliness? Christianity exemplified. Cultures revolutionized. Jesus magnified. Lifestyles modified. What needs to change? The word multiplied and you can be ready for attacks to be intensified in our lives. I don't know about you, like what Micah's saying, God, whatever the cost, I want my life to count. Help me to stop living it in my own strength, to rest in you, to let your word and your spirit change me and use me in ways I could never imagine. Let's get rid of the go through the motions, powerless faith, and let's tap into an authentic, passionate, consecrated, committed faith. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.